Hi everyone, my name's Asher and I'm a clinical psychologist who's based in Newcastle and I love and follow Jesus and Pastor Dave has invited me to share with you today on the topic of emotional resilience. And emotional resilience is that aspect of how we manage our emotions responsibly and effectively. So before I get started, I'm just going to pray. I like to do this before I speak all the time and then we're going to get straight into it. So God, thank you for this time this uh, this morning or this afternoon or this evening, whenever this is being uh, watched, Lord, we just thank you for the fact that you uh, can speak to us individually at the same time as speaking to us corporately. And I pray that, um, that this message would have something for everyone who listens today, something would ring true about our emotions and what they were created for and how we can be emotionally resilient people. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm sure uh, everyone knows of something that's got a bit of a bad reputation. Newcastle used to have a bit of a bad reputation. Um, I grew up in Newcastle and the house I grew up in, um, the end of our street, there was this beautiful cloud of sulphur which used to block out the sun a night and day from the steelworks down the road. At Newcastle was also infamous for its mall back then. The mall was not a place full of trendy shops back then. Everything was boarded up and you only went to the mall if you wanted to get mugged. But despite all that, Newcastle was still a great place to live. It's always had fantastic beaches, a great lifestyle, close proximity to everything and a great community. And more recently, uh, Newcastle has started to shake off some of its shabby reputation and people from Sydney are rushing up here to live here. It did have a bad reputation, but aside from a few rough edges, it was mostly undeserved. Now, when we talk about our emotions, our emotions can be a bit like this. Emotions can have a bad reputation. We can think of emotion as being a bad thing of themselves. To feel a negative feeling is to have a problem. We might be quick to pathologise our feelings as anxiety or depression or bipolar and then try to get rid of them as quickly as possible. Or alternatively, we might deny that they're actually there to begin with that they're there at all. We only want to acknowledge positive feelings when they happen because bad feelings are bad. But there is nothing inherently wrong with our emotions. That's not to say that at some point our emotions can get to a point where they become a mental health issue for us. It's just that emotions exist for a reason. A good scientific definition of emotion is this. Emotions are understood to be feelings, largely physiological in manifestation, that occur in response to an experience, a thought or thought process, a relationship, or as the result of a more pervasive mood state. I'll just draw your attention to the last part of that definition. They occur in response to an experience, thought process, or relationship. In other words, your emotion is telling you something. Emotions tell you something. Think of them a bit like an iceberg. Now, we don't have a lot of icebergs around here, but icebergs are big chunks of ice that float around in the ocean. And some icebergs can be ginormous in size. They can get to like 150 metres above sea level. But the interesting thing with an iceberg is that most of its mass is actually under the surface. 
Only 10% of an iceberg is above the surface. The other 90% is all underneath. And this is what it's like with our emotions. Emotions are telling you something. There is more underneath. Now, it's no surprise that we're emotional creatures. I mean, we've got to consider the God in whose image we're created. And after all, we're a chip off the old block. In Genesis 1 verse 26, we hear God say as he contemplates making human beings, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, in the likeness of God, emotions and all. Just as a side note, for those of you who are wondering what the, the our image and our likeness in that verse means, it's not a grammatically incorrect statement. It's a reference to the triune nature of God. But that's a whole other, whole other area. God made us in His image. He made us to be emotional beings just like Him. He gave us the emotional capacity so that we could live more fully just like Him. If you're still wondering about this whole idea of God being an emotional being, just take a quick flick through your Bible. Look in the Old Testament. You'll see plenty of examples of God's anger, of His sadness, of His joy. Especially in the prophets and the Psalms, we see the emotional nature of God. God is emotional. And then in the New Testament, in the life of Jesus, we see that God, is, again, is an emotional God. This is a God, Jesus is a, is a, is a God, is a man who um, weeps over the death of a friend. He has sadness. He is a God who gets angry and chases people out of the temple with, with cords to make a whip. This is a God who is clearly an emotional being. But God is emotional for a reason. In the example of Jesus in the uh, temple courts, when he chases out the moneylenders with a, a whip that he made himself, his anger was a result of something legitimate. He was angry because there was this obstruction in the temple to people approaching God. People had made a business out of it. The moneylenders had made a business out of it so that people couldn't bring their sacrifices and come and approach God. There was corruption that was getting in the way of ordinary men and women being able to approach God. And this rightly made Jesus feel angry. His anger let him know that something was not right. He was angry for a reason. Our God is an emotional God. So if emotions are functional, if they serve a purpose, and if emotions tell us something, then why so often are we afraid of them? Why so often do we think of them as negative things, at least the bad ones? Fear, sadness, anger, and why is it so difficult for us to think of our God as being an emotional being like us? I believe the reason is because of our misuse of emotions. It's not because of emotions themselves. It's because of our misuse of emotions. Our misuse of emotions. Think of everything that you regret ever doing in your life. Every hurtful word, every reckless, impulsive decision, 
every debilitating poor choice, I guarantee you that in each situation, your emotions were raging underneath the surface. And it was the misuse of those emotions that led to those regrettable moments happening. The misuse of those emotions. There are a number of verses in the Bible in both the Old Testament and New Testament that speak to this truth. In Proverbs 19, verse 11, one of the books of wisdom of the Old Testament, it says this, A fool gives full vent to his anger, but a wise person holds it in check. And the Apostle Paul expands on this truth more in his letter to the Ephesians. In chapter 4, verses 26 and 27, in the New Testament, you can read this. Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your anger and do not make room for the devil. In other words, you can be as angry as you like, but don't misuse this anger in order to do something sinful and destructive. You see, the issue with emotions is not with emotions themselves, but with what we do with them. The issue is with the hurtful words that we choose to say when we feel angry. The issue is with the addictive behaviour that we choose to engage in when we are sad and lonely or stressed. The issue is with dwelling on what frightens us when we feel anxious. Emotions are not the problem. Emotions are helpful. It is what we do with our emotions that can be the problem. Now, in psychology, we call this skill of doing something productive with your emotions. I guess that whole idea of emotional resilience, doing something productive with your emotions, we refer to it as emotion regulation. Emotion regulation. And the key to regulating your emotions, I believe, is to understand or explore what is going on underneath the surface. Why do I feel the way that I do? Emotions act as a flag. They act as a signpost that lets you know that something needs to change. So if you want to learn how to regulate your emotions, start with asking yourself some questions. Am I tired? Am I hungry? Am I lonely? Am I in physical pain? Is there anything that I can do to get these needs met in a way that is God-honouring and healthy? Just like a toddler can scream and fall to pieces because it's past their bedtime, so can adults fall to pieces when our basic needs are not being met properly. Poor diet choices, lack of exercise, too many late nights, not enough time investing in relationships around us. We can make excuses about these types of behaviours, but the science is in and they are just not good for us. Everyone enjoys a good Netflix binge, but that doesn't mean that it's good for you. You'll feel flat the next day and that's because your emotions are trying to tell you something about your behaviour. Your emotions may be telling you something about your behaviour. In my private practice, I work a lot with children who are emotionally dysregulated. And I remember one of the first clients I ever met 
was a little five-year-old boy who came to see me with his mother. And I remember I invited him into the office where all the toys are out ready for us to play with. And I crouched down and I looked him in the eye and I gave him a big smile. And I said, G'day, Billy. I'm Asher. Do you want to come in and play some games? And Billy looked at me like I just insulted him and proceeded to unload on me the foulest language I have ever heard from a five-year-old boy. He called me names that day and used words that day that I had never heard of before or, or since. He absolutely unloaded. And then before I knew it, he had barged past me and grabbed the stapler off my desk. I, it's a bad idea to keep a stapler on your desk when you work with small children. I realise that now, but he grabbed the stapler and he grabbed all the case notes and started stapling them all over the wall, all this in about three seconds flat. He was an angry little fella. Anyway, it turned out, as I got to know Billy and his situation, that Billy's basic needs weren't being met. His sleep patterns were all out of whack. He fell asleep in front of an Xbox in the early hours of the morning, most nights. He had a diet of nuggets and Happy Meals, which are more like grumpy meals for kids. And his behaviour was a product of that. His family life was an emotionally traumatic one. His dad was in prison for being violent and aggressive and abusive. His mum was a recovering drug addict and she was absent and not there mentally as a parent. Billy was one scared, angry little kid for a number of good reasons. His emotions were telling him and were telling the rest of the world something. I want to look at a story in the Bible which really illustrates this point. And that's the story of Saul, Israel's first king. In the book of Samuel, we read about Saul. Things start off well for Saul as he's king of Israel. There's much excitement for them actually having their own king. But as the story progresses, we realise that Saul is not the king that Israel needs because Saul does his own thing. He doesn't consult God before he acts. Now, if you want a life of chaos and disaster, then don't consult God about your choices. And this is especially true if you're involved in leadership. It's a recipe for disaster. And this is exactly what Saul does. He just does his own thing. He doesn't consult God. He thinks he knows best and chaos follows. So in 1 Samuel 15, we read the story of Saul being rejected as king of Israel for this reason. But rather than accept God's decision on this and in doing so finally learn to be obedient, Saul decides to continue doing his own thing and refuses to give up the throne. So in the next chapter in 1 Samuel chapter 16, Samuel anoints Saul's replacement, David. However, Saul holds so tightly to his throne that his relationship with God, his relationship with Samuel the prophet, even his relationship with his son, Jonathan, all those relationships start to fracture. But rather than repent, Saul continues to do his own thing. He stubbornly holds on to that throne. And as we read about in 1 Samuel chapter 16, Saul starts to become overcome by these dark, angry moods. 
He seems depressed. He has these fits of rage and these episodes of overwhelming remorse. And in the end, Saul essentially takes his own life. Now, Saul's dark and angry mood was trying to tell him something. It was trying to tell him that his life of rebellion towards God was poison for him. It was trying to tell him that his extreme selfishness had broken his closest relationships, even with his own son. Saul's mood was trying to tell him that a life of broken relationships is a miserable one. It's not how it's meant to be. We are meant to be in whole, healthy relationships with God and with others. And here, Saul's emotions are trying to show him that, trying to give him a clue that that's what's happening and that's what needs to change. The issue with Saul's emotions was not how sad or angry he felt. It was what he failed to do with them. His emotions were telling him something His emotions were showing him something about his relationships. His emotions were telling him to repent and to come back in obedience to God. I'm going to finish up with one last thought in all of this. So far, we've looked at how emotions can inform us of when our behaviours or choices um, need to change. They also can inform us when our relationships need work, our relationships with God, our relationships with others. But the last thing I want to look at is how our emotions can let us know if something is up with our thinking. If I was to ask you right now what your favourite meal was and to think of that meal and to maybe try and smell that meal and maybe try and imagine the first bite of that meal, particularly if you're watching this around mealtime, you're going to start feeling hungry and you're going to start longing for that food. You can have all these positive feelings start to come up in you around this food. We could do the same thing with a favourite holiday memory or your favourite song, start thinking of it in your head. Instantly your mood starts to change, right? And the reason this is, is because some, some thoughts are good for you. They create nice feelings. However, the Bible warns us that there are some thoughts that will create distress in our lives. And in Philippians 4, Paul spends some time talking about some of the thought processes which can lead to feelings of anxiety and fear in our lives. Things to think on which aren't good for us and our emotions tell us that. And in Philippians 4, 8, in the middle of this famous passage, dealing with fear, Paul writes, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Think about such things. Emotions can be reflections of our thoughts. Emotions can be reflections of our thoughts. What are you thinking on? Are you dwelling on the job that you missed out on? The relationship that didn't work out? The opportunity to serve at church that you keep getting overlooked for? Are you self-critical? Do you slander yourself in your head? Do you compare yourself with others in order to try and feel valuable? Are you worrying Are you constantly looking at what could go wrong? Are you preoccupied by what people think of you? Are your emotions a reflection of your thoughts? 
Do you feel anxious, sad, or angry because of what you think? Because of your attitudes or beliefs about God, the world, or yourself? From time to time, I think that's all of us. Our thoughts can get away from us. Our beliefs can get distorted and our attitudes can get really negative and the fruit is seen in our emotions. But Paul writes here, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, excellent or praiseworthy, think on those things. Give thanks for what you do have. Listen to what God would say about you. Bless others. Lift up your troubles in prayer. Focus on the one who consistently delivers us from evil. Your emotions can be a reflection of your thoughts. There's a beautiful example of this in Kings chapter 18, where we read the story of Elijah. And this is an interesting story because it's a time when Elijah feels what looks like quite depressed. And he goes to hide at Mount um, Horeb um, after this incredible victory that he had on Mount Carmel with the prophets of Baal. For those of you who know the story, it's a great story where God shows up, sends a bolt of fire from heaven and burns up a whole brick also with a sacrifice on it to prove that he is a real God. If you don't know the story, read it. It's a wonderful one that really grows your faith. But straight after this, there is a death threat put out on Elijah and he spirals into depression and disappears to this other mountain. And while he's there, God lets him rest. God cooks him a meal. You know you're a prophet when God cooks you a meal. That must have been tasty, must have been good. God cooks him meals. He lets him rest. And then after a period of time, God gently starts to challenge Elijah's thinking. And Elijah, it turns out, was depressed because he felt like he was the only one remaining faithful to God. That's why he felt hopeless, sad and lonely because he had this belief that he was the only one left. And God showed him that he wasn't. He opened up his eyes to another perspective and his mood lifts. Your emotions are telling you something. Now, I realise today that there are people watching this who struggle with their mental health. And my message today is not to treat that punitively. Anyone who struggles with their mental health needs support. Rather, the point of my message today is this. If you want to be someone who manages their emotions well, who is emotionally resilient, then you need to learn to listen and to discern what your emotions are showing you. Learn to listen to the voice of God as He shows you what your emotions mean, what is underneath the surface. Don't discount them. Don't squash them. Don't pretend they're not there. Don't pathologize them. Go on a journey with your God, with your good Father to find out why you feel them in the first place. Let him take you on a deep dive under the ocean to have a look at what is bobbing under the surface of that iceberg and let him do some healing work there. We all need it. Is something up with your behaviour? Is something up with your choices? Is something up with your relationships? Is something up with your thinking, with your attitudes? Can you bring that stuff to God and let him navigate you through it? 
I'm going to finish in prayer and I'm going to pray for two things. Firstly, I want to pray for those of you who feel challenged or churned up by this message. If your emotions are confusing or overwhelming for you, then right now, I would invite you to pick up your phone or to reach out to the person next to you and ask them to pray with you, to let God show you what is going on underneath the surface, why you feel the way you do, and then it'll bring about healing and change. The second thing I want to pray for is those of you who are feeling fine at the moment. Things are going pretty well, um, feeling pretty happy, pretty positive, pretty excited, pretty pumped. That's great. My prayer for you is that God would put in your heart someone right now who is not feeling that way and would show you how you can come alongside them, how you can sit with them, listen to them, feed them a meal, show hospitality, and then pray with them that God would show them what's underneath the surface. So let me pray. God, thank you for our emotions. Thank you that you uh, made us emotional beings for good reason and that one of the purposes of our emotions is to be an indicator, a signpost as to things that are going on under the surface, Lord. So right now, I want to pray for those two areas. For anyone right now who is hurting and experiencing emotional distress, Lord, that by the grace and the kindness of your Holy Spirit, you would show them what is going on underneath the surface and lead them towards healing. And Lord, I also want to pray for those of us who maybe are traveling well at the moment, Lord, that you would put on their hearts somebody who is not going so well, somebody that they can reach out to, that they can sit with, listen to, offer a meal to and pray with so that God, by your Holy Spirit, you can show them what's going on underneath the surface. Amen.